Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before You and thank You for Your mercies toward us. Thank You for the forgiveness of sins. And we do ask You for that forgiveness. We're thankful that we can enter into the closet with You and be more specific. And say the same things about our sins as you have told us and revealed to us in the Word. We do pray, our God, that we would have true repentance. working out in our souls that we not just go through the routine by rote but help it to be real and genuine as we approach thy throne. I confess my own self, as you know, I have so many times just wondering how often do I just say prayers rather than pray. And we don't want to be guilty of of that. And yet we well know the language of the Apostle Paul when he said that we know not what to pray for as we ought. And we're thankful that we not only have the Lord Jesus Christ seated at your throne on your right hand making intercessions for us. But we also have the Holy Spirit that equally works to bring about our prayers before you. Once again, we cannot get too specific because uh, we really just don't know. But we know that the triune God, You, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all, all actively engaged in our lives and in our prayers and in our sanctification and justification, uh, just the whole 
gamut of, of salvation. Now we pray that you would help us as we look into your word. We know, our Father, that we have given quite a bit of time to this one particular verse or three verses in this chapter. And we trust that we haven't been making much to do about nothing, but verily believe it to be of great significance as we look out not only within the world itself, but within Christianity and more in particular in the house of the Lord and the congregation of the saints and among professing believers of just how shallow most people are in their understanding of the Scriptures. Many people devote much time to their particular denominational and or theological uh, venue in which they uh, identify themselves. But we could be like the Pharisee and be so caught up and dedicated to our own system of religion that we miss Christ altogether. We don't want to do that, Father, and ask that you would keep us from doing so. Nevertheless, thy will be done. We do pray again for your ministers scattered throughout the world and pray that you would sustain and comfort and strengthen them and bless their ministries and that you might raise up more who know the truth of the gospel and to proclaim it. And once again, Father, our, uh, our hearts, our minds go out to the many thousands that have been and are being uh, affected by uh, the earthquake. Others from floods, droughts, sicknesses, volcanoes, weather conditions of all sorts, economic conditions, political conditions, just the whole overall conditions of the world. And so we ask our God that you would have mercy. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And bless us to ever lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty as we live out our lives upon this earth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, 
these first three verses, we have spent uh, several messages uh, regarding this uh, these verses, mainly verse one, and I'll read the uh, the first three verses again and come back. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." And we spent quite a bit of time showing how that the spirit of the prophet is nothing more here than, I mean, the spirit here that's to be tried is nothing more the spirit of the prophet or your trying prophets or just put it in our modern day vernacular preachers and teachers that would include preachers commentators uh, seminary bible college uh, teachers and all sorts of any who endeavor to uh, speak forth the word of god and We'll say much a little bit more about that if we go further. But when he says, try the spirits, what he's talking about here is to prove or test the spirits. You know, uh, <clears throat> when it talks about in Peter, the gold being tried in the fire, you're not putting the gold in the fire to make it gold, but just showing that it is what it is. This is what it means here, is to try to show what it is. <clears throat> I believe that I gave an illustration in one of my messages that when I was in college taking organic chemistry, if I remember correctly, our final lab uh, in the organic chemistry, and we had two three-hour labs in order to uh, complete this project, and it took that for some people. Uh, thankfully, I had uh, a situation that I was able to complete mine in the first three-hour lab, but I was given a little small bottle of a clear liquid. And I had to run a series of tests to tell what was in that bottle. And by running a few series of tests, I was able to uh, declare, I don't remember what was in the bottle now. Uh, I don't, you know, whether it's sodium, magnesium, or 
iron. I, I don't I don't remember what was in it, but I remember that uh, in the providence of God, I was given one of the easier, uh, or I don't know whether uh, the professor gave me uh, the bottle or whether I selected it out of a, a container of other bottles there. Uh, but anyway, uh, I wound up with one of the easier bottles. Uh, some people, like I said, it took them both uh, three-hour lab in order to uh, complete the project of what all was in their bottles. Well, I didn't make what was in the bottle. I only run the test to see whether what what it was. And here, when it talks about trying try the spirits it is to put to the test to see whether the spirit is of God or not let's look at this word uh, as used in the New Testament somewhat first of all in Luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14 Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. That it is. There it is. I pray you have me excused. In other words, I bought this yoke of oxen. Now I'm going to see uh, if I got my money's worth. That's what it, this is. This word prove is to try to test them. You know, if we're going to go and uh, buy something today, most of the time we might uh, take it for a test drive beforehand. So you go to a car lot and you look at a vehicle, particularly if it's a used vehicle, you, you want to drive it. And uh, when I was growing up, uh, when whenever we got ready to uh, uh, buy a vehicle and most of the time it was or many times I should say probably that it was a used vehicle and so uh, dad would always get permission from the car dealer to take it to our local mechanic and let him look it over and see whether it would be a good buy or not. So that's what you were doing. You were proving it. You were trying it. You were seeing if it was uh, genuine or not, whether it was good. All right. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Here's a unique use of this word. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 28, talking about the wicked and the ungodly, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient 
What do you think the word is there for prove? Did not like. In other words, the wicked, the ungodly, are not even willing to put God to the test. Does this not fit the evolutionist? They're not even willing to submit to the actual proofs that demonstrate that something had to create the universe. If there was nothing before the universe was created, I'd like to know how no thing can create something. But they, they don't even like to think about it. They won't even consider it. They won't even test it. It's like one evolutionist said, and I know I've quoted this many a times, he said the, uh, that evolution was a mathematical impossibility. And the only alternative is special creation. But that is unthinkable. He actually said it. It's written down. I think it was Lord Gaylord Simpson. I think that's who it was, but I may have um, remembered incorrectly. But uh, I do remember that. Read and reading that years ago, I just, uh, you know, you uh, some things you're just dumbfounded. But you know what? If God had not opened our hearts, we would be just as dumbfounded. We would be just as ignorant and biased. Anyway, Romans twelve. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, there it is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm not going to take the time to read all of these that I have written down. I, uh, I didn't... It's in 21 verses, but I don't have that many verses written down. But in 1 Corinthians 3.13, it's used to try. 1 Corinthians... Well, I will read this one, 11.28. 1 Corinthians 11.28. But let a man examine himself, talking about partaking of the Lord's Supper, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, the word examine. In other words, uh, before you take the Lord's Supper, we ought to examine ourselves. 
Well, to try ourselves, prove ourselves. It's also translated prove or approve in Ephesians 5.10, Philippians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 1 Timothy 3.10, and then I will read 1 Peter 1.7, though you're probably uh, already familiar with it. Well, I'll read verse 6 and 7. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, 1 Peter 1, 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial, there it is, that the trial of your faith, that may be uh, being much more precious than that of gold, though it be tried with fire. Actually, the word here is not the first trial, but it's the tried with fire. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm told that particularly with silver, and I think it might be the same with gold, <coughs> That when you, the way that it is tried or purified is that it's put in a container, obviously, and the heat is put to it. And the heat, uh, you have to get the heat uh, just exactly right. And when the heat is exactly the way it ought to be, then all of the flux and all of the impurities float to the top and you can pour it off. And it takes a silversmith with great skill to know exactly how much heat to put to the silver. Aren't you glad, beloved, <clears throat> that God knows just exactly how much to try you? And that's First Peter 1, 6 and 7. So when it says try the spirits, we are likewise to try the spirits. Now, as we said many times, and which is obvious from the verses, you can't put a spirit, there's no way that we can see a spirit, nor can we put a spirit in a test tube or we can't put a set of spirit down on the the pew and and talk to it and and but we can a preacher the prophet you try the prophet to see whether he is of god or not and obviously the basic way in which a false prophet is tried is to test what he says with the truth of the Scriptures. Which means that it is your responsibility to know what the Scriptures teach. 
whatever is not in agreement with the Holy Scriptures is not of God. Let me pause here for just a moment and say this is the reason that we need to adopt a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the Scriptures. What do I mean by that? First of all, the Bible means what it says. I realize that there, uh, there are uh, passages that have metaphors in them and things of that nature. But in the majority of the cases, throughout the whole Bible, you don't have any problem knowing what's being said. When I opened the Bible to first I just opened it somewhere. I opened it to Second Chronicles chapter seven. And it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. You say, well, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. When Solomon quit praying, fire fell from heaven. You say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe fire fell from heaven. I believe that was something else. Why should you believe it's something else? That's what it says. I guess you wouldn't believe that uh, blood was turned into water in Egypt. I guess you wouldn't believe that there were flies in Egypt but none in Goshen. I don't guess you would believe that there was uh, darkness in Egypt but not in Goshen. You say, well, that's impossible. Not with God. I don't guess you would believe when it said hail fell to the ground and hail ran on the ground with fire. Well, how in the world would ice and fire be mixed together and one not consume the other? Because God was in control. And when it said fire fell from heaven, you said, well, that hadn't happened in my lifetime. It doesn't have to happen in your lifetime. In other words, Solomon was alive. This took place historically in Solomon's time. And when you put the grammar to it, and the literal interpretation, it just makes sense. You don't have to make up something. 
You say, well, I, I, I believe that fire uh, fell. I believe that just uh, uh, some uh, uh, chemicals that Solomon put on the altar. Well, I could say uh, uh, somebody came up there with a, 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 fly, uh, a, a torch and set it on fire. I have just as much right to say something as you do. And therefore, uh, none of us would agree on anything. So if you want to know if a preacher is preaching the truth or not, is he saying what the Bible said? I gave this illustration. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I don't know the name of the preacher, I guess. But someone told me one time, and I think I've told you this, where a preacher was up preaching and he was talking about when the Lord fed the multitude with the loaves and fishes. I forget whether it was five or the 7,000. I think it's five. I'd have to go back and look to make sure right now. But anyway, he had the people sit down on grass. Well, the title of the, of the preacher's sermon was Grass. And he made the grass be to be children of God. Well, you can make up anything out of the Bible. And there's people that do that. There's people that say the Bible is not to be interpreted literal. It's not to be, but all it means is, all it said was the people sat down on grass just like you sat down on grass. And when a preacher comes along and teaches something else, that the grass means something else other than grass, I don't think you need to give any time to listen to such preaching. It's garbage. You say, well, maybe he said a lot of things that's true. He may have said some things that's true, but his overall interpretation of the Scriptures was false. And we're to try the Spirit. We're to try them by what He is teaching the Word of God. You know, the Lord said, uh, put a curse on anybody that adds to or takes away from the Word of God. I mean, beloved, we've got enough to preach of what it says besides making up things to sound smart. So whatsoever is not in agreement with the Bible is not of God. A true servant of the Lord will seek to lead one in the same path in which the Holy Spirit leads. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. Romans eight fourteen, and by the way, uh, a series of sermons could be preached on this one theme. But eight fourteen, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I believe that a true servant of the Lord will seek to lead one in the same path 
in which the Holy Spirit leads. Now, all of us preachers are sinners. And all of us are fallible. And therefore, uh, no doubt, there have been many things that I have taught that wasn't true. I know there have been things that I taught that wasn't true. Because when I first started preaching, I knew, at least I knew I didn't know anything. And so I started preaching what other preachers were preaching. But then when I started studying the Scriptures, I found out there were some things I was preaching that wasn't true. And I've spent the rest of my life teaching against such error. <clears throat> I think... You say, well, how can we know whether a man is going to be following the same course that the Holy Spirit follows? Well, I've got six things listed, and I got them from a book entitled No Condemnation in Christ Jesus that was written by Octavius Winslow. This comes from pages 157 through 167. He had, uh, he had uh, paragraphs about each one of these points. I just wrote the points down. Uh, this book, by the way, is Octavius Winslow's book on uh, Romans chapter 8. has a lot of good things in it, though... Uh, Octavius Winslow lived in the 1800s. Uh, sadly, he became he left being a Baptist and became a, a joined the Church of England. But anyway, uh, a lot of people don't know that about Octavius Winslow. Either way, say well, how do we know when a preacher is leading like the Holy Spirit leads? And here's these six things I think the preacher will be trying to do, a true prophet, to lead us from ourselves. Lead us from ourselves. You know, the world says that we're to uh, have self-esteem, build up ourselves. Well, the Bible says that we are to deny ourselves. In other words, if we're if a preacher is preaching, then he's going to be leading people away from themselves. Two, he's going to lead us to Christ. One, lead us from ourselves. Two, lead us to Christ. Three, lead us to truth. Four, leads us to holiness. 
5 leads us to all comfort. And 6 leads us to glory. Now, if you studied that out, you might think, well, I, I believe uh, something else should be put in there too. And that very likely could be. But when I read that uh, and the explanation that uh, Winslow gave and all of that, it just kind of hit, uh, rang true with me. I thought that was a good way. How do I know? How do I, as a preacher, know that I am leading God's people like the Holy Spirit would lead God's people? Well, I'm going to lead you away from yourself. I'm going to lead you to Christ. I'm going to lead you to truth. I'm going to lead you to holiness. I'm going to seek to comfort you. And I'm going to seek to lead you to glory. So when you're trying a spirit, trying a preacher, uh, you might put his sermon, you might put my sermon to this six-point test. Why should we try the spirits? Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many. There are many false prophets. What this means is there were false prophets that went out in their day and there are still false prophets going out in our day. And he didn't say a few said many, many. Let's look, first of all, in Matthew chapter 7. Here's God's warning to us regarding false prophets. Not only in 1 John, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look like a sheep. They act like a sheep. They try to give all the appearance and talk like a sheep. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. And ye shall know them by their fruits. Ye shall know them by their fruits. What are they doing? It's not how they preach necessarily. It could be that. But it's also 
How are they living? How are they living? You see, the congregation has the right to know the personal life of the pastor. Just like the country has the right to know the private life of the president, vice president, senators, congressmen, and all of our leaders. We live in a society that says, well, my public life is different from my private life, and you don't have any right to know about my private life. Yes, we do. I've asked people that come around wanting me to vote for them. I ask them about their private life. They may lie to me. They may not. Usually I'm I'm pretty tough they're trying to pull the wool over my eye by the way they're talking. But if a man doesn't, uh, if he can't uh, rule his house, he can't rule me. I've asked men, who's the head of your house, you or your wife? You say, well, that's none of your business. If he's going to rule over me, I want to know what kind of man he is. I also want to know if he loves his wife instead of being a tyrant over her. Well, I won't chase that rabbit anymore. Chapter 10 of Matthew. No, I'm looking at the wrong place. Chapter 24. Chapter 24 of Matthew. Verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Drop down to verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets And shall show great signs and wonders. Notice that. You say, well, are those signs and wonders real? Maybe. There's many of them that fake those signs and wonders. I remember many years ago going to a healing campaign. I went there for uh, to see 
what it was all about. And the so-called healer, shortly after that, died of cirrhosis of the liver. And he looked like he was drunk the day that I was there. But I didn't I didn't see any genuine I didn't see any genuine signs and wonders. I saw some false ones. But there may be false prophets that actually do some signs and wonders. That's what Jesus said. Like I said, I don't know that I've seen any, but that doesn't mean that it may not happen. You remember Deuteronomy 13? If there come a prophet among you and he says some things and it comes to pass, but if he says go follow other gods, then you're, they were to stone him. They were to kill him. So see, it's not if a man can actually perform miracles. Of course, there's theologies that some people say, well, uh, men can't perform miracles today. I don't know. I know we don't need them because we've got the full revelation in the, in the Bible. But that's, that's another two or three sermons that we don't have time to get into. I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm not going to explain away what Jesus said. I'm a, I, I, I interpret it literally, grammatically, historically. Not only in his day, but in our day, there shall, this is before the Lord returns. False prophets and shall show signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The elect will not be deceived because God will see to it that they won't. But if it were not for God's overruling preservation and perseverance, if it were not God working to will and to do in the hearts of His children, they would be deceived. Meaning those who are not regenerate will be deceived. Luke chapter 6 there's a parallel passage in Mark 13.22, but I'm not going to read that one. Luke 6. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Woe be when all men shall speak well of you. Because they did to the false prophets.
I've had some people that didn't speak well of me, so maybe there's some hope for me after all. <laughs> but anyway, Acts chapter 13. Verse 6. Well, let's... Uh, well, I'll start at verse 4 to get some of the context. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, that's Paul and Barnabas, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Now see, we talk about the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. In other words, the Holy Spirit led Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, as it said in verse 5 they left Seleucia that was in Syria they sailed to Cyprus that was an island still there and they were at Salamis that was on the east end of the island on the east yeah, of the island of Cyprus you're interpreting historically see you're interpreting grammatically. You're interpreting literally. Seleucius and Cyprus and Salamis weren't just fictitious names. They were real places. And when they had gone through the isle, that is when they had gone all the way across Cyprus, from the east side to the west side, they went to the city of Paphos, Paphos and found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So see, this false prophet was a real person. Wasn't some ghost floating around. This, this spirit, this false prophet, this person... When you and when you interpret it, read the Bible for what it says. That's what it says. We even have his name, Bar Jesus. Now somebody could, you know, uh, somebody, uh, some they could have left part of this information out. We could just say he was a false prophet. If it didn't say he was a Jew, we wouldn't know whether he was a Jew or not. He said, well, bar Jesus, bar means son of, and Jesus, it means he's son of Jesus, so he was Jesus' son. So I guess it was a son that Jesus had by Mary Magdalene. No, it's a different Jesus. You see how people come up with all sorts of 
silly stuff? I heard of one preacher one time was preaching out of the book of Zacharias in the Old Testament and said that was the, the father of John the Baptist. Crazy. See, there were false prophets in that day. Second Peter chapter two. Verse one. There were false prophets also among the people. That is, there were false prophets among the Jews in the Old Testament. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. In other words, just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there are false prophets in the New Testament that deny the Lord that bought the people. Not the Lord that bought the false prophets. All right, Revelation 16. Read a few more here, and then we'll close. Revelation 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There is a false prophet, I believe, that will manifest itself in a unique way before the Lord returns. I don't have time to take up the beast and the dragon. Chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. with which He deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped His image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever.
Yes, there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world, as 1 John tells us. And there are still false prophets going out into the world. And I believe that there will be a manifestation of the false prophet, the Antichrist. You know, 1 John said uh, in, in chapter 2, talked about that the Antichrist shall come. We have heard that Antichrist shall come. That's 1 John 2.18. Antichrist shall come, but they're already Antichrist. False prophet, I believe, shall come, but they're already false prophets. Well, Lord willing, we'll take up with verse 2 this afternoon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom and spiritual discernment from Your Word to be able to identify false prophets. for Your honor and glory. Keep us from having a spirit of putting our thumbs in our lapel and saying, I can, I can spot a false prophet. We don't want to have that kind of spirit. A know-it-all attitude. Just help us to be humble children serving You in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, Amen.